Good evening, everyone. You're listening to Three Moves Ahead, a podcast about strategy games. I'm your host for this week, Wesley Livesey, and joining me tonight is Benjamin Magnus. Hello, Hello Benjamin. How we doing? Doing pretty good. We are here today to talk about Rule the Waves 3. Uh, a new game release came out about a month ago, I think. Um, Benjamin, what is this game? Okay, so I get asked this question a lot when I stream it, and it's a... Um, Oh, you you kind of role play as the secretary of the Navy for a uh, a naval power around the turn of the century when there was a lot of uh, naval innovation. So you're not necessarily the leader of the country. You're not just the captain of a ship. You are uh, in charge of the Navy, but that's it. So you control some things, but not everything from a very broad overhead perspective. Yeah, I think um, like. One of the interesting things that I thought about the game that surprised me. So this is the first rules rule the waves game that I've played. Uh, this is the third one, but this is the first one I've I've checked out. And I think one of the things that surprised me initially is there are certain areas where you have no control. They just kind of happen. You're asked for your input sometimes via kind of in-game little pop-up choice selections, mm -hmm. but you have no control over politics or foreign policy or anything like that, which which felt weird to me, kind of from a strategy game perspective. Oh, yeah, uh, there there are definitely points in the game where you will you will feel out of control by design. And I think that is kind of the point at the end of the day is that, yes, you you as the secretary of the Navy might think it's extraordinarily important, given current world tensions to build eight new battleships. But the politicians have other things in mind and your naval budget is not one of them. So, oh, now all those battleships that you've invested so much money in are half done, but you don't have the money to continue construction of all of all of them. What do you do? Yeah, absolutely. The the the, the tension there is is interesting. Um, I, I did think that the. The, the various events that you get, though, you get lots and lots of events as you're playing month over month where you're asked to make kind of decisions about how your nation should respond to things or or anything like that. I thought those were interesting, I guess. Um, I think sometimes it feels like they the response to those by other nations where there's just like a simple like tension plus minus or a budget plus minus where it was kind of simplistic. But um, I think it does a good job, at least, of being like, hey, you're the secretary of the Navy. What is your input on this, even though you don't have total control over things? Yeah, I, I understand the 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 simplicity in those things um, going back through the series, because the original um, game, I think it was called uh, Steam and Iron or Iron and Steam or something like that. It was before the Rule of Waves one was just the battle side of things. It was just. You picked some ships and put them in divisions and you fought against them on the battle map. And that was it. There was no world map and building the ships yourself. And Rule the Waves 1 was an attempt to get people to play the battles more by linking them together on a strategic layer. So they've always had a lot of interest in developing um, the, the battle side of the game more than the strategic side of the game because it was always seen as just an excuse to get people into the battles. So when like an event pops up and it's pretty simplistic, it's like a, a, a you know, you know, it's like uh, kind of like a newer RPG. It's like, yes, no, sarcastic kind of kind of like wheel choice. It's like those are your your options to go with. 
uh, I understand from like a gameplay uh, perspective and knowing the devs, uh, what they were thinking when they designed these, um, why it turned out that way. It's because the the middle part of the game where you're sitting and looking at the map and building the ships was always supposed to be just getting you to the meat and the bones of the battles. Yeah, and I guess, you know, we should probably explain for people who don't know, sort of there are two parts to this game, and I guess what I would call like a total war sort of situation where you have this strategic map where you are designing warships, where you are building warships, spending your country's budget, naval budget on new warships, um, as well as moving ships uh, around the world. And then when you're at war with somebody, you'll go into, when there are naval battles, you go into a kind of a real-time overhead view of the naval battle where you are controlling your ships, moving them around the map, telling them to do certain things, controlling uh, any air assets that you may have or anything like that. And I I didn't actually know the history that you just described there. Mm. And it's really interesting because I don't really like the real time battles in this game at all. (laughs) Like I, I found it much less interesting than kind of the strategic, um, the strategic aspect of, of building and, and designing, um and moving things around and stuff like when it actually came time to do a battle maybe i'm just not good at them but but it just it didn't seem very fun to me it that's a a common uh, um like byline with this game is a lot of people like the strategic layer more than the tactical layer even though the strategic layer is the part that's supposed to get you to the tactical layer in the minds of the devs um and you're not the first person who who i've heard say that and to to a point, I I completely understand that too. Sometimes I'm in that way too, where it's like, oh shit, I am five years deep in this war, and every single month there's an invasion battle or a fleet battle or a coastal raid that turns into a fleet battle, and I just don't want to sit here for three more hours, <laughs> man, micromanaging seventy ships, um, and I I get that because I've I've been there and like to. For me, I actually really like the tactical battles when they're small. If it's if it's a one on one duel between some cruisers, if it's oh this tiny formation, the, the, these four battleships that I put in a division together and their destroyer escort caught another enemy uh, battleship division, and it's just these guys duking it out, and I could really micromanage just a couple things. Mm-hmm. But then when it's like okay, there's 157 air bases within range and 4,000 planes in the air, and I've got 12 fleet carriers, and there's 100 ships to manage in literally 20 different divisions. It's like, okay, it's going to be a while. <laughs> it's like, it's like how it's testing the player to see how willing they are to go minute by minute through 10 hours of fighting. Yeah, because when you're when you're playing the tactical battles, you're progressing on a minute by minute scale. Even if it's, you know, you can increase and decrease the time um the, the time scale of the game, but it's generally minute by minute. And those battles can take, sometimes those battles are 1400 minutes long and it takes a while to get through them. Yeah. The, the, the game also makes some interesting choices. So, so when you're fighting a war in this game, um, you, you'll have your, your, your ships in a, just a zone around the world. So let's say the Mediterranean. So you'll have ships in the Mediterranean. The enemy will have ships in Mediterranean and there'll be a number of, of, random battles it seems like that that will occur when you have when you're at war with somebody in in a zone and so there were like oh yeah you're gonna have like two cruisers and four destroyers and the enemies out there somewhere go find them um 
but sometimes the 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 game does not do you any favors in terms of how it generates uh which ships are there and the time of day mm-hmm. the one battle that sticks <laughs> with my mind is so that it was, a, this is going. It was a sh- it was a shore bombardment mission and i had two light carriers and a couple destroyers is all i had but they didn't give me enough time to launch and recover before nightfall. Like it was maybe like an hour before it was going to be night. So I could have launched, but there would have been like a penalty coming back because it would have been a night landing. And it was like 1923. So I am not at all prepared for, for night landings. So I had to wait. I had to get as close as possible to, to my bombardment site, like right off the coast so that in the, as soon as it was light enough, I could launch a strike and it had time to get there and drop all of its bombs before time ran out. Yeah. It was, it was not helpful to the, the game in that case. The, the, the game is never going, it's, it's very much a game of, of you're never going to be fighting a battle with the, the, in the circumstances that you ideally want. Um, it's, to a point, it's like the point. It is one of the core mechanics of the game. Is you're always going to be fighting this war with the last war ships, but a lot of times in the battles themselves, it's like, oh yeah, sure, I have my entire fleet stationed in the Mediterranean, but in this one battle, I'm gonna, I, I'm, I've got two cruisers and destroyer escort, and they've got a whole formation of battle cruisers, and this is not the situation I wanted to get myself in. Or there's there's lots of times where it's just like. There's a weird, there's a lot of, okay, to prefacing this, there's a lot of quirks of the game. It's very quirky. This game was not made by game designers. It was made by like a couple of 60 year old accountants. Um, I, th- I think the user interface makes that very clear. Yes. So it's very quirky. And one of, one of the quirks is that you can't control any of your ships for the first 30 minutes of a battle, of a tactical battle. Um, and that 30 minutes breaks upon contact with the enemy or or 30 ticks. And if you in another quirk, it's like a lot of quirks laying around top of each other. If you spawn a night battle. The the formations will will spawn very close to each other, but out of visual distance. Which usually means within the first like 10 minutes of the battle, everybody just stumbles upon each other in the <laughs> middle of the night. So and, and you'll you'll. You could feel it coming. And so you spawn this battle and you're like, okay, I've got 10 battleships here. And then you're like, oh no, it's night. Oh no, they're out there. Oh no, I can't control them. Oh no, they're only going 16 knots. And you just have to keep hitting spacebar, progressing the game, going, okay, I know they're gonna I'm gonna find them. I'm gonna find them. And then a whole formation of destroyers will just just, just appear out of the ether at point blank range. And you're just like, I can feel the torpedoes in the water. I know they're coming. <laughs> That that I also had that happen to me as well, where I had two, uh, three battleships, I think, and it ended up spawning a night battle and absolutely just ran directly into a pack of destroyers. Yep. And it, it did not end well nope. for me at all. No. Nope. And uh, or like uh, you could do like a convoy defense mission and the enemy formation will spawn way closer to the the convoy than you will. And you're just like, oh, God, well, I guess we just leave them to die because there's no way I'm going to get there in time. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it could go the other way uh, around too, where you could just spawn in a beautiful scenario where, where where you've got this, you know, your best destroyers with their with with sixteen torpedoes on each ship in in the middle of the night, and there's an enemy battleship formation there with just presenting beautiful slow motion broadsides. So it's you're you're always going to have to adapt to the circumstances that the game's going to put you in, and they're almost never going to be what you want, and they'll rarely be fair. But yeah. that is the nature yeah, think, of the game. Yeah, I think I would like it. I would love to see them 
um, maybe do something that lets you influence that a little bit more. Like I would love like, so there's the strategic layer and the tactical layer. I would love during wartime in a specific zone, being able to like plan like operations, like, Oh, I'm going to have my, my whole fleet go here to do this, but a little bit more control over what is happening there. But I understand that like the randomness is part of the game design here. There, there are very minor things you can do to, to blow the wind. There's a lot of, again, quirks, about the game and it's things that that it's like you have to absorb through osmosis by living in the rule the waves community because the information's not in the game manual and that's the only information source provided because the game manual was like written by some guy that likes the game it wasn't (laughs) and and he was just copying pasting it from the devs manual from rule the waves one from 12 years ago or whatever it was so the information in there is not complete and a lot of information needs to be just absorbed, like I said, absorbed through osmosis. Like if you uh, you can get better um, uh, uh, battles formed and, and have a better idea of what the enemy's strength is by having spies in that country at the time of war. But that's not really mentioned anywhere. It's just something that you kind of have to know. Um. And there's a lot of little things like that. You just like you stumble across it. You figure things out talking to people. And even I've played between the three games. I've played it for like thousands of hours. And even now it's still just like, oh, shit. Well, I didn't know that was a thing. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And the randomness isn't just on the battle map. So so I've um, I I guess so there are there are four different time periods where you can start mm. your game, right? So there's 1890, 1900, 1920, and 1935. And you can, you can pick up from 10 or 11 different nations around the world, different naval powers at each of those moments. And it seems like when, when it spawns you into the game at one of those time periods, it does try to give you, you know, the, the Royal Navy is going to be the biggest Navy. And then, you know, other navies will have sizes that are roughly historically accurate. I think you can choose how historically accurate mm-hmm. you want it. But the randomness in that case also doesn't help sometimes. So the first game, the very first game of Rule the Waves 3 I played, I picked a 1920 start. I picked Great Britain. I just like, okay, I want a big Navy so I can do things. 1920 seems like an interesting time. So, and I also picked the Washington Naval Treaty to be in effect, which is a roughly accurate Washington Naval Treaty is kind of what gets generated when you start the game. Um... But the problem was, is for the British, it seems like, and this is probably for everybody else as well, when you start the game, there's some randomness in terms of how full your foreign stations are. You'll have foreign stations all around the world that for a colonial power like Britain, there's a lot of them that you have to keep manned because you have possessions all over the place and you have to keep a certain number of ships or a certain like tonnage number colonial service tonnage which is some kind of calculation that is really weird um and is not explained nope. adequately i even don't know um, what that calculation is i ended up on an internet forum trying to figure it out but um because this game went so horribly so it spawned me with seven of 11 foreign stations un- undermanned so i had to send a ship to seven of 11 foreign stations to try and get them up to the minimum number but because of the Washington Naval Treaty, I had to scrap almost all of my battleships and battle cruisers instantly as soon as the game started. And I didn't have enough cruisers remaining to send to all these places. So I had to send battleships to all those places. And I was still one short, even after I sent all of my destroyers as well. It was just the worst possible. And I was like, 
this is this is impossible. Like, I'm glad it's trying to replicate the situation of the Royal Navy in 1920 of having to defend the entire world with a bunch of old and, you know, not enough ships. But this is brutal. And I actually dropped in prestige enough over the course before I could build more ships that I just the game just ended in 1925. Oh, yeah, you got sacked. I got sacked because it was so bad. Um And I didn't necessarily realize I was making a mistake that was going to get me sacked until I was sacked. And I found out that, oh, it was dropping prestige every time that little pop up came up that uh, I didn't have enough ships in foreign service. But then I started another game. I was like, this this feels impossible, but I can try it again. But when I spawned back in the second time, I only had two foreign stations that needed more tonnage. So it was super easy. Like that wasn't even a problem the next time I I spawned into a game, even though I spawned in with the exact same settings, the exact same nation and everything. So it was it was a it was just really interesting how, you know, the the randomness is all over the place. It, it's not just uh, sort of in the in the battle setup. Oh, yeah. It, 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 there is even a uh, an element of the randomness when you're going to uh, design and build your ships, because. Part of the game is the the tactics. Part of the game is the the strategic layer. But my absolute favorite part of the game is des- actually the the minutia of building and designing your own ships because it is remarkably in depth down to how many uh, uh, millimeters uh, of armor do you want, or it's it's in inches in the game. Uh, but you can uh, like every every square inch of the ship can be covered in armor, and how much armor do you want to put everywhere, and um, when you're building the ships, there's a, depending on who you're playing as, like there's a chance that your ships can come in uh, slower than expected or faster than expected. You could have um, un, you, you know, unforeseen consequences of, in the construction that'll slow them down or speed them up. And one of the things that always hits, always seems to hit me, and it sucks so bad because uh, so when you're making your ships faster, it's like a logarithmic scale. So every single knot of speed you're adding to a given hull size is going to be uh, more expensive than the previous one. So whatever uh, speed you tell that ship to go to, that last knot is always going to be the most expensive, which is a big deal when you're trying to build a fast ship. And then when you spent a huge amount of tonnage to uh, get a ship up to speed, and then they're just like, ah, we fucked it up. It's not very fast anymore. It's just like, (laughs) oh, shit. Well, <laughs> that happens to me a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's uh, I, I kind of liked it from from a historical perspective. You know, I come at this from somebody who really likes the history, uh, the naval history around these time periods has done a lot of research into those that uh, they've played heavily uh, on my various podcasts. But um, I like it that uh, it seemed to me that a lot of ships come in overweight. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I build a ship, it always the, it always gets the pop of like, oh, this design came in a little bit overweight, which was constantly happening during these time periods when people would design ships and then it would come in 500, 1000 tons over what they hoped. Yep. Um, so it, it's interesting. It's interesting to see that that kind of in the game as well. Yeah. Um, well, if, if you don't mind, I'm curious. I always talk like uh, this part of the conversation, if you don't mind me steering a little bit here, but uh, designing ships, I have a methodology that is OK not appreciated by the general community. <laughs> uh, most most people just want to want to build the the biggest, fastest 18 inch uh, gun armed battleships. And and uh, I'm in, in, in my community, I'm like famously unlucky. Like, like I, I always have to uh, refer to myself as statistically improbable because it's just like, 
well, some, uh, this just happened and somebody will crunch the numbers and they're like, well, there was like a, a one in two million chance of that just happening, but it's fucking recorded and it's 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 on the Internet for posterity. So it obviously just happened. So I have to play the numbers whenever I'm designing ships. So I need as many ships as possible because I need more of them out there. I, I can't rely on like a single big gun ship. I need multiple ships with with more guns on them. I need to get as many guns on there as possible just to play the the, the, the numbers game. So my design philosophy is my ships always need to be ha- have as many guns as possible which usually means they need to have smaller guns on them that most people like so i also uh, uh, uh don't build ships to to just be good at everything i usually build a ship to fulfill a specific role like if i'm building a light cruiser for fleet support it's going to be different than a light cruiser that's designed for raiding if i'm designing um like a battle cruiser for standing up with the fleet and just and just lobbing shells it's going to be designed different from a battle cruiser that's designed to operate independently and chase down enemy commerce raiders so what what but what about you what's your design philosophy like when it comes to actually the design phase yes so my my journey in specialized ship designs started with that very first game when i when i i could not figure out like what the calculation for colonial service tonnage was because it's not the tonnage of ships um it seems to vary by ship class so like when you send battleships to foreign stations they do not give you as much colonial service tonnage as uh, like uh, cruisers right which which kind of makes sense okay but so i ended up online being like what is the most efficient colonial service ship six thousand ton light cruiser (laughs) a six thousand ton light cruiser and so I built what I thought was a pretty, like pretty balanced 6,000 ton light cruiser, but online people were like, no, 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 don't worry. These ships are throwaway ships. Yeah, they're garbage. You build the, sh- the cheapest possible 6,000 ton cruiser, right? Which is like, you put like one gun on it and then a ton of armor so that it bumps up the, the, the displacement. Um, so that was my first experience with specialized ships. I didn't end up going that route. I was like, that's a little silly. Yeah. I um, don't meta the game super hard. So like yeah. if I'm making a, a, a colonial ship, yeah, I'll make it a 6,000 ton light cruiser, but it, I will design it to at least be able to hopefully put up a fight. If someone get cut, catches it on a one-on-one. Yeah. Um, but, but then from, I, I played around with a couple of different things, um, for larger ships, um, that, that were actually involved in, in wars and fighting. And I think one of the challenges I had is that it was very difficult for me to get feedback on my designs. Like it was very difficult for me to parse on the battle map. If my ship designs were doing well or doing poorly, yeah. like the difference between like my, oh, I'm going to try to do like a smaller gunship, but more of them on this battleship, like maybe 12 inches and do 12 instead of 15 and do nine or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hard for me to know, like, is this doing better? I, I can't necessarily tell. Um, yeah, it's, it's which, which a, again, makes not enough hours in the game might be my problem there. No, no, no. It's not just that. It's 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 one of the like, I love the game. I do. I've been playing. I've played them all. I, I, I'm like, as soon as we're done here, I'm turning on my OBS software and I'm streaming Rule of Waves 3 because that's what's on my docket today. I love the game. But it's the biggest flaw is that its UI is just archaic. And there is no uh, feed. There's almost no feedback that you would expect in, in from a modern game in terms of uh, of the game broadcasting to the player useful information that you would you know be used to seeing in a modern game. So like if you design a ship and then you uh, play it in a tactical battle and a bunch of them get sunk, um, if you want to figure out 
if that ship did good or bad, if it was just unlucky or something like that, you'll have to like wait till the battle's over, find the ship on the list of damaged vessels, like double click on it, go into its UI panel, click on the ship's history, and then you'll get a a, a blow by blow of every bit of incoming damage that hit the ship. And then you'll have to suss out all of that that Greek stuff because it'll just be like it'll just be like at this time code uh, a shell of this size from this ship hit this part of your ship and then there'll there'll be some information there and uh, some of the information it it doesn't tell you dictates if a shell overpenetrated if a shell was defeated by your armor or if it was in your miss or things like that And, and it's really hard to suss out that information because you would have to like go to every class of every ship of that class, look at every single bit of damage that came in and then try to piecemeal together like what happened, because you could definitely find that information if you went in there and looked and went, oh, OK, we engaged at 20,000 um, yards and all of these 14 inch shells were penetrating my deck. I need more deck armor or we, this was a close in knife fight and uh, they were just lobbing HE and it just destroyed my superstructure. So I need more secondary guns to to uh, that with a, like rapid fire uh, uh, capabilities. That information is all there, but you have to find it yourself. And the game does not help you in any way to get that information. Yeah, I, I guess I guess I could, you know, read all of that favorably and say that's historical accuracy for you, right? Like navies of the past were building these ships. They had no idea how they were going to actually work in battle and they didn't really have much of a chance to find out before some of them were sunk because yeah. they made mistakes in, in, in at the end of the day it is a game though <laughs> and it's one of yeah. the, one of the things like i really wish that they would um uh, be better at broadcasting information to the player and uh there's a lot of ui stuff in there that is just like functionally broken like there's a lot of places where you can copy and paste information but then there's other places where you just can't there's some places where you can copy and paste information, but only on a single line. Sometimes you can copy and paste big groups of information. Uh, one of the big things is that uh, two inches of armor is very important. Anything under two inches is, uh, can be penetrated by uh, 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 splinters from a near miss. But anything above two inches will defeat uh, splinter damage. So it's splinter proof. That information is extraordinarily important, but is not in the game. Does not fucking tell you that ever. <laughs> yeah. And and I wonder if there's so I didn't really look. So one of the, I, I didn't like other than the colonial service thing, I didn't really look online. But given how this game is structured and the importance that it places on the shipbuilding specifically, mm-hmm. I was wondering, you're you're more engaged with the community. Is there somebody out there who has just the most meta game breaking builds for every class where yeah. you're like you're doing something totally absurd to, to make this this battleship that is that is perfect uh, yes. to, to take on other battleships or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like if you go into their discord right now, they have like a little poster designs thing. And most of it is just people like, hey, look, I made a, a it's a Nelson class with 18 inch guns because that's the meta is all forward gun armament in three quad turrets for 18 inch guns. And it's like, it's because if you if you unlock a specific tech, uh, all forward gun armament makes uh, uh, the guns, the, the turrets lighter. It's it's a weight saving. So the all mm-hmm. forward armaments are more efficient. The 18 inch guns uh, are, are the meta because if you look into the game files, like 
uh, um, different uh, sizes have different uh, characteristics. And one of those characteristics is like reload speed. So certain guns of, a, of, of different sizes will share a reload speed, like four, five and six inch guns will share a reload speed and seven, eights and nine inch guns will share a reload, reload speed. So it's like, and the 18 inch guns are are in one of those is the high end of one of those brackets before the reload speed changes. So that's the meta there between reload speed and um, uh, uh, like DPS and range. And it's like that's a very specific speed and a very specific amount of armor. That's like the the and it's usually like a 60,000 ton battleship. And that's the meta everybody well, everybody in the Discord usually seems to love it. And I'm sitting here going, <laughs> I put 20 12-inch guns on this battleship. <laughs> One of my favorite uh, things to do is like, uh, uh, my community loves it when I do this is, um, if I'm streaming the game, I'll get a big glass of scotch and I'll drink it as we're as I'm streaming. And then as like a couple hours into the stream, the designs will get more and more unhinged. And then the next time I have to go stream, I'll have to deal with the repercussions of my own drunks past selves, like crazy designs. So I'll load up the game with no memory of what I did and be like, what the fuck? Now I've got these things half built. I can't scrap them now. I guess we're using them. <laughs> what, what mistakes did I make in the past? And, and here we are. Yep. Yep. That's um, that's, the, the, that's it. I mean, that's what one of the things I like about the game, though, is, yeah, there is a meta. All games are going to have a meta. But you don't have to subscribe to it, and it's fun to just kind of try new things and and see what works. Yeah, it, it very much is is that kind of sandbox, right? Where you can you can kind of choose how you're going to approach a lot of this stuff, especially when it comes to ship designs. Yeah. It's a little more constrained when it gets to the strategy sections just because of the the historical ish nature that it tries to go with. But I think from a ship design, like yeah, you can try all kinds of you, you can do really silly things with that designer. Yep. And there is a, like we talked about before, there's a random element to the way research is uh, spawned to. So you could play a game like, like right now it's actually a bug, but uh, there's a bug in the game where gun technology doesn't tend to progress very quickly. So you'll, you could have a, an entire game where you never get guns bigger than 12 inches. Like in most of the time I've played rule the waves three so far, I've never gotten a, a caliber larger than 12 inches. So all battleships and battlecruisers are limited to 12 inch guns, which are much lighter than the, the 14, 15, 16 inch guns, which means you get way more of them on there as well. Also, they're also much weaker, which means these battleships can get into really close range knife fights and just blast away at each other until they both sides just run out of ammo and leave with no never sinking another ship. And it's yeah, yes, it's a bug. They've acknowledged it's a bug and it's going to get fixed. I kind of like it, though, just because it's different. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I was going to bring that up. One of the things I was, I was going to bring up in my notes here was about the naval treaties, right? Mm. So you, you can choose to do, um, if you start in 1920, you can choose to do a historical Washington naval treaty start. Uh, it looks like, uh, naval treaties will also pop up sometimes on other time periods. Like I got, I got one, I think, uh, I was playing a game as Italy starting in 1935, where I also got a, a naval treaty kind of option. I could opt into it or I could say, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah. Um, but but I thought the constraints placed on me by the Naval Treaty was actually really useful as a new player, like in some of my first games, like having this limit where, oh, I can only build up to 10,000 tons. I can only build eight inch guns like it. It constrained the possibility space in a really good way for me, the new player who had never played a game yeah. before. Um, it, it just made it more interesting without overwhelming me with choices. Yeah, the um, the Navy tre naval treaties can spawn in game at any time, basically by just random event. And they'll ask you, uh, 
you know, what you would you want to comply or not? Sometimes you could say, absolutely not. I'm not signing a treaty. And the politicians will go, well, we did it anyway. And we're scrapping all of your battleships. But yeah, there's definitely uh, uh, situations where you can, you can get into that. And, and you're like, OK, you have to spend your money. That's another one of the things is if you don't spend your money, they're going to take it away. If, if you are not using your budget, it's it's that old like uh, a business strategy of, of if, oh, I have to spend my budget this year so they don't reduce my budget next year. And uh, so you're, you're like, OK, I don't need a buttload of treaty cruisers, but I've got a budget to spend. I've, I can only make 10,000 ton hauls. I can only use eight inch guns. Uh, so I've got to make a design that's useful in the future for something. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's kind of the spot I ended up with. And, yeah. and it was it was interesting. I do think that, you know, thinking about starts, I know that this isn't part of the game for probably very good reason. but. I do wish there was a historical start for these time periods, like mm-hmm. a checkbox where I could check. She's like, I want exactly what Italy had in 1890, right? Don't, don't gen me other ships. Don't, don't give me more ships or less ships. Just give me exactly what they had. And I realized like that would be horribly imbalanced. And like, you know, you could pick the Royal Navy and just steamroll the rest of the world pretty quickly, probably. But I think it would be cool to be able to engage with that, like be able to pick a historic, I don't know, Germany 1935 start and be in the same situation that Germany was in 1935. I think I'm surprised that's not in the game, basically, with with how focused on sort of historical ish this this game is. It seems like such an easy win, oh, but it was no, specifically called out actually with looking audio. for this. Oh, you lost my audio. Oh, oh wait, no, it's back now. I don't, I don't okay. know what the hell happened there, but I, I saw your lips move and I couldn't hear anything for a second. Okay. I think it was okay. Um, so I actually fine, went fine. and hunted for a dev blog for this and they specifically mentioned that this was a design decision to not allow that, which just seems odd to me. Like, I don't know. I just, it's a checkbox. It seems easy, yeah, no, even though it would be horribly unbalanced with how the game is structured. The, 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 the devs have a very, uh, um, uh, a specific, like like goals in mind and and they don't always align with what a modern gamer would expect um so it's a very much just like okay let's roll with the punches and see where this lands like one of the things that i would absolutely kill for is a button to disable um land-based aircraft like i don't i i love the the designing ships and fighting them up until about world war ii when everybody's just bombing each other um uh, the the dealing with air power can be uh, very click intensive. It's a lot of lot of UI buttons and presses to get an airstrike off and things like that. It's not super intuitive, so I don't love the air stuff. And uh, it always felt weird to me that the this the navy the naval budget is paying for the army's air bases and planes. Uh, and that you you end up spending a vast amount of your own funds for na- for ships on army stuff. So I was just like, I really would love a button to just turn off land based aircraft. Just just turn them off and let me just deal with just my my naval aircraft. But nope, you got to deal with it. Speaking of aircraft, and I also didn't find them that fun to interact with. But uh, one of the new features of this game is that it extends the time period. Right. My, my understanding is that. Rule the Waves 2 ended maybe Thanks. roughly 1945. I think it was 1950, or... I think, was the end. Okay. But this game extends that time period out uh, a couple more decades and it introduces the idea of like ship based missiles. Yep. 
uh, to the game. Have you got a chance to play around with that? I'll be honest. Sure. I did not get a chance to get that far because the latest start date is 1935. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd have to pay play many hours yes. to get to the point where you're using that that kind of new pieces uh, of technology. I have, and they're terrifying. Um, <laughs> because normally what I, in my experience so far, usually what happens is like, there'll be a... The, a lot of times you'll, you'll you'll get yourselves into a tech imbalance against a neighbor like there's been there'll be times where you'll, you'll fight Germany, for instance, is Russia and just kick their butts. And then you'll fight them again five, five years later, and they just got a tech that you didn't. And you're just absolutely get, getting your clock cleaned. And that becomes more prevalent the later you got get into the game, because the the techs that you can fire that give you a leg up can be so devastating. Like the first person to get uh radar controlled um range finders is a devastating tech to have above the enemy because if they have it and you don't and you spawn in a night battle you won't even see <laughs> where the shells are coming from you'll just start getting your clock cleaned by by long range gunfire and it's the same with missiles my first experience was with missiles was like big big fleet battle and it's like i've got my 10,000 ton uh, like anti-aircraft cruisers that are just just 24 like five inch guns dual purpose they're just bristling with anti-aircraft firepower my giant uh, uh carrier uh air patrols just flying around every single major battle just like looking out for the enemy got blimps out there for some reason because i like blimps and and then all of a sudden just a way the radar detects a wave of missiles coming in over the horizon from nothing it's just <laughs> a huge wave of missiles and i was like oh no i'm in danger <laughs> and it's it's that sort of thing that i it was like i got my ass kicked i absolutely got my ass kicked because i didn't have anything to contest it was just missiles coming in out of the ether and i didn't have a defense against that that was my first first experience with it. And later on, there would be situations where, OK, I can balance that out or I get a, I get a leg up on them or I'm launching missiles from my my carrier air groups at, at you know, enemy formations and things like that. And that's pretty cool, too. Um, but the, it, it's the same issue with uh, like aircraft. It's another layer of UI management stuff that is it's, it's fun once you get the hang of it and when it's working. But that's not always going to be the case. It might not always work the way you want it to. It might not always be the most fun thing to like set up an airstrike uh, or a missile strike. But it is fun when it works. And it's that's the same. It's and it's better than it was in Rule of Waves too, as, as well, in terms of like air stuff. Um it, it is more uh responsive than it was in Rule of Waves too. Because I, I don't know what it was in Rule of Waves 2, but like I could tell my carriers to set up a, a combat air patrol over my carriers and they would just never show up or they'd be in the air for five minutes and then they'd be on the deck for six hours and getting blown up and stuff like that. But now it feels like they actually do what I asked them to. But yeah, miss missiles are terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I think I think um, when, when I heard that like this game had that, it, it felt really odd to me and uh, I wish I could have gotten a chance to try it out. But I was like, at some point, it's like, I'd probably rather just be playing like command modern op yeah. modern operations. Yeah, uh, I got that one too. Or, <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, once you get to a certain level of tech, it's like this game is not giving me what I need to interact with those systems in an easy way. And I'd rather go to a game that's dedicated to doing that. Yeah, um, the, the game definitely shines in like 
1915 to like 1940 range. Um, that's when most people tend to agree that that's that's when the fun bits are like early on in the game. Accuracy is so bad and pre dreadnoughts are so shitty and slow that it's not always the most fun to get into, uh, uh, you know, big fleet battles with all your pre dreadnoughts because it's going to be like, oh, we fired all of our shells. We hit once. OK, bye. And that's the, <laughs> that's that's the gist of the battle. It's, it's just you can't put out enough damage and the shells are such just so low quality that your chance unless you're doing like suicide destroyer runs with torpedoes you're not sinking anybody and then you get to the point where okay we're, we're we got proper battleships we got big guns we got accurate range finding we're gonna have a fun battle and then what happens is you just get torpedoed out the wazoo by wave after wave of torpedo bombers which are sh- shockingly over, over shockingly powerful just absurdly powerful like anybody who's a like a a, a world war ii history uh buff those torpedo bombers were fucking death traps <laughs> yes absolute it, death it, traps and then i could watch like a formation of enemy torpedo bombers make a a, a a fucking full run straight at my most powerful formation of battleships with with uh complete air cover and bristling with anti-aircraft guns of every caliber and designated uh, a heavy anti-aircraft pickets. And like one plane will get shot down if you're lucky. And then four torpedoes will hit and be like, wow, they're really effective. I spent so much money trying to present prevent this specific scenario from happening. And somehow it happened. Yep. Um, I, I've, I've spent a lot of time modding the game myself to kind of make it more of what i what i wanted and to to the point where i just went no planes we're just not gonna have planes i just took planes out of the game for a while that that was actually a lot of fun because it was just like the game just kept escalating and to to like tillman battleships just you know giant monstrosities of eighty thousand tons with 20 inch guns yeah i think that in a game like this like air power is Sometimes it feels like it, it, you, you've talked about like kind of being not fun sometimes. And I feel that's very common in like naval games of uh, like historical ish naval games, like, you know, playing something like uh, World of Warships, which is a totally different game. But ha- yeah. how the the problems of air power also are present in that game just in different ways. And so I feel like, you know, a lot of times when people play a game like this, they they are trying to engage with that kind of Jutland esque large fleet battle scenario mm-hmm. right they want big a lot of big surface ships or or maybe a few big surface ships depending on how intricate you want to get and air power just throws that off in in some really not fun ways if you are not the one on the winning end of the air power situation yeah um, and even if you are on the winning end like sometimes it it, it also makes it less fun because like oh my pretty little battleships that i you know put 20 12 inch guns on and was so looking forward to using didn't even really get to do anything. They didn't engage in the battle. Yeah. Like it's it's really satisfying when you're controlling a formation of battleships and you're watching those hits just raining in on an enemy ship, or you get one of those lucky hits and it's just like the whole ship goes up and there's a turret explosion. Uh and that that's super cool. You you you, you pop an enemy and get a critical hit on the rudder, and all of a sudden you just watch one battleship wheel out of formation, and you're like, oh. The weakest gazelle. Now I know who I'm going for. <laughs> um, but with air power, it's just like, okay, I got a, a blimp spotted somebody 400 kilometers over that direction. 
uh, uh, click, 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 send the planes over there, and then you just wait, and they'll just, you'll just get, like, maybe a torpedo hit something. Maybe. And then you'll have to go to the end of the battle and, like, go and check it, and just like, oh, no, my pilots were just lying. They do that a lot. Yeah. Turns out. Yeah, yeah like, there, there is some... Uh, a sense of like, okay, yeah, everybody exaggerate, especially pilots in like naval campaigns, completely exaggerating their their hits. But <laughs> there'll be a lot of times it'll be like, yeah, we scored 12, ed- 12 hits on. I'm pretty sure that was an aircraft carrier. And then it would be like, you scored one on a transport that I had already damaged. <laughs> that'll that'll happen sometimes to watch. Like, there's been a lot of times where I'll I'll I'll, I'll spot an emo formation. I'll be like, oh. I just spotted one of their carriers. I've I've got uh, uh, guys on the deck, prepped and ready to go. I preloaded my torpedo bombers, and I've got my fighters. They are ready to go. They don't need to be refueled. I can launch them on a, a you know on a second's notice. I've been waiting for this, and I'll launch them, and I'll watch the planes heading straight towards the enemy carrier, and then there'll be like one destroyer on the way that is that is heavily damaged, on fire, like just a nothing ship that is, that is of no concern to anybody and they will all make just make a pass at that ship and waste all their ordnance just on one guy and i was like no god damn it he was sinking already you didn't need to <laughs> torpedo him four more times he, he was already dead yep um so that it's just that's it's another thing it's like you have very limited control over the air stuff even when you do control it uh, and then there'll be there'll be situations uh, like um, it, your carriers will automatically turn into the wind when they're launching and recovering aircraft. Even if that is a profoundly stupid thing to do, like there'll be an enemy battleship chasing them and you'll you'll have them going full speed in the other direction away from the enemy battleships. And they're like, well, the wind's over there, so I got to turn into the enemy. <laughs> And, I and need the wind. Can, like that's more important. I, I got to get the wind for five minutes. That's yep, more important than yep. staying alive or, or staying um, afloat. When uh, enemy torpedo bombers or dive bombers come in, your ships will scatter. Um, mm-hmm. So you you could you can get into a situation where you're in a big gun duel. You've got your ships in line. You got their ships in line, and then a formation will come in, and your line will just break into bits. And e- even if that means turning full speed into the enemy death cannons just just because okay we wanted to avoid the bombs i get it but you also just went straight to your death by doing that i really wish you hadn't done that seen that happen i have a story i have a story about that exact thing happening so but before before we started recording today i jumped on uh i was playing a game as italy 1935 um and ended up at war with Great Britain, which uh, I thought was going okay, but it turns out they'd just taken all of their battleships and sent them to Southeast Asia to destroy my two cruisers there before mm-hmm. they came back to the Mediterranean. Yep. Um, that two cruiser battle was a real fun one of me just trying to get away and failing because they had like three aircraft carriers. So um, it didn't go well, but then they came back to the Mediterranean and it was a, I don't know if I ever saw all of their ships, but they had four, four or five battleships. I only had four. Um, one of them got hit with some torpedoes from torpedo bombers pretty early. So it's like, okay, I just need to get away from this. I just need to get away. Three battleships start going away. 
more torpedo bombers, they do that exact thing that you were mentioning where the torpedo mm-hmm. bombers come in and they scatter. And two of them essentially ended up turning the wrong direction for yep. a second. And that was enough for the British battleships to catch up. And I lost all four battleships eventually in, yep. in that in that scenario. Um, I really just wanted them to run away. Yeah, it's it's another situation of where, like most of the times I have of complaints about the game. It's like it, it's a situation where control was taken away from me in a way that was unsatisfying which yeah i mean i get to a point where you're not supposed to be directly in control of anything but it's like give me a button on the formation uh, panel that's like okay if an enemy attack comes in you could take evasive uh uh for you could take evasive maneuvers or stay in formation it's like stay in formation more likely to take a hit but you won't break the formation because sometimes it's more important to keep the firing line than it is to avoid a 50 pound bomb landing on your three inch deck. Yeah. It's, it's almost like the, like the fleet tactics kind of settings aren't detailed or intricate enough to be able to handle some of the scenarios. Like, um, exactly like that, where it's like, listen for, for the rest of this battle, we just have to get away. That's the number one thing. So we have to get away from this group of ships. And if we slow down, if we change course, anything, they're going to catch us and then we're dead. So we just have to run away and being able to communicate that in some way to your other ships would be, would be great. Yeah. Just, just a little bit more control here and there, especially when it comes to air stuff, because it's just unfortunately the most deeply unsatisfying portion of the game. Actually, one of the reasons my, my favorite country to play in the game is Japan. Uh, and that's because uh, uh, you have got a lot of wide open areas that aren't within range of any any enemy air bases near you. So like if you're playing in the Mediterranean, eventually you're just going to get swarmed with literally hundreds, sometimes thousands of enemy planes later on in the game, just because there's so many air bases so close together. And uh, that can that could definitely get it. Like I said before. It's frustrating, but it's better than it was in Rule the Waves 2, where where the air stuff just didn't functionally work that well. At least it works way better in, in Rule the Waves 3. I can reliably get my uh, my caps up in Rule the Waves 3. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, when I, when I was talking about like the historical start, I think, or something else is like, you know, this is a game and you have to take that into account. And the air power stuff or the air power mechanics kind of feel like the the game kind of struggling with we want to be a game and we want to be fun to play, but we also want to be set in this historical setting and air power is a critical component of that setting. Yeah. And, you know, in history, you know, I bet in, you know, the second world war, all those Navy people, they were also complaining about air power <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> and so God damn it. Like, everybody oh, yeah. else is cheating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so it's, it's, it's a game sometimes where it feels like, the, the balance act, the balancing act between those two things is challenging. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe a checkbox to just turn off air power for people who don't like it would be, would I'd be a it. good option. I love it. And it's, it's actually kind of funny because it's some, at some level, the game gives you a, a, a large amount of um, the ability to customize your play the way you want it. But then in other times it's like, no, you're going to do this exactly the way you're supposed to. Because when you start the game, you can tell it how big you want the fleets to be. Uh, my favorite, th- you, you could tell it if you want a higher low amount of randomness in the text so that things spawn differently or out of order. Um, one of my favorite things to do is decrease the text speed, the, the, the rate at which new technologies form. Uh, 
Uh, one of my favorite things, it, it's really broken in Rule of the Waves 3 right now. It does not work. But in Rule of the Waves 2, one of my favorite things to do was turn the tech speed down to like 30%. So you weren't building uh, like Dreadnought class battleships until like the 20s. So you would end up with like super pre-Dreadnoughts. You'd end up with 25,000 ton pre-Dreadnoughts that were just absolutely absurdly designed. Uh, and it's it was fun to just cha like change up the world that way. Or I'm going to play an alt history where Spain's a naval power or China or something like that. Uh, but but then other times it's just like, nope, nope. This is the way the game is designed. This is the way you're playing it. Uh, well, I was just going to ask, what, what was your favorite country to play? Because you, you played it a bit now. Yeah, yeah. So I... I really liked my game as as Italy. So I, I started a 1935 game today, but previously I'd started a 1910 Italy game. And that was a lot of fun. Like, I think that the problem with my Royal Navy games is like there's so much around the world to worry about. Yeah, um, that that's kind of a pain. And so it was good to have, again, like some of those constraints where Italy has a lower budget, has a lower tech level and those sorts of things. And I think that uh, I ended up in a war with France pretty quickly because of the things I chose to do. Um, and, and that, that was a lot of fun. Like the smaller scale kind of situation mm -hmm. I think was, was a lot of fun. Um, and, and I, I agree that I did have the most fun before aircraft were introduced into the game. So yeah. earlier start periods were definitely more interesting to me for all the reasons that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned it before, but Japan is my favorite because, uh, Japan is the only country that could do, um, sneak attacks at the, the, the start of the war, which are, insanely entertaining um if you haven't played played them yet it's it's a it's a little mechanic where if you have like destroyers on active uh station in the same area where there's uh enemy bases with ships stationed at them at the start of the war then you spawn a sneak attack where the destroyers will go in at night and launch a torpedo attack at the unsuspecting enemy fleet while it's stationary as just so entertaining uh, the only thing that makes me sad, though, is that it stops for it. Sto those stop spawning in 1925 and they and they turn into um, like Pearl Harbor style carrier attacks, which are not quite as fun when you're um, like you, you're individually controlling your destroyers around an enemy anchorage. You're just being like, OK, but torpedo that one, torpedo that one, torpedo that one. It's a lot of fun. There is something incredibly satisfying about a destroyer torpedo attack. You get the torpedoes launched and you just watch that line as it slowly intersects with the ship mm -hmm. that it's about to hit. Mm, just it's just fantastic. Usually I feel like for me, usually what happens is I'll be like, OK, that was a absolutely flawless torpedo attack. There's 20 fish in the, in the sea. The enemy has not spotted them. Everything's straight and true. And then all of a sudden, like five of them will pre premature, prematurely detonate. Two of them will run deep. And then he'll see the last one in turn right at the bed. I'll be like, oh, God, because that is the thing that happens. They can dud. They can prematurely detonate. They can run deep. Um, they can run wide. So it looks like you'll get a hit and you just don't. Yeah, Bye. definitely. Definitely an unreliable weapon. Yeah. Torpedo warfare is super funny. If you're playing as Japan, you can get oxygen fueled torpedoes, which are just devastating. Although it does, it, it severely puts you at risk, though, because by that time, you can usually put torpedoes on every ship if you want to. And putting like oxygen fueled torpedo on your like 15, 16,000 ton heavy cruisers is extremely dangerous. So another, another thing about uh, the, like, like your design choices in the game is if they're very 
very minute and they will definitely have um repercussions oh that actually uh brings up a a a, i didn't realize it but a controversial topic in our tiny little rule the waves community refitting ships do you refit your ships very often i've definitely refitted my ships yes because there's there's a lot a, a big portion of the community that feels it's a waste of money to ever refit your ships and once they get like 10 years old you just scrap them and make new ones you know, I could see that. I think so from from my refit experience, like there's it's definitely very limited, like when you can refit and how many changes you can make is is very limited. Like, you know, you've got the ship. There's only certain changes you can make to the ship. Um, it seemed like when you could make like a meaningful like propulsion or machinery change, I think mm-hmm. seemed to be the, the best time to refit because when I changed from like coal to oil on some battleships, I think uh, is is the example that comes to mind um, that in, that gave me a lot of tonnage to work with because it reduced the tonnage a lot. But I mean, I could also totally see where, you know, the, the benefits I was getting from that would be totally outweighed by just building and like scrapping that ship and building a new one. Yeah. Uh, it, it came up in one of my last streams because I was, I was refitting destroyers because mm. um one of the one of the big destroyer upgrades you get is when you get from a single to double, triple or quad uh, mounts, because you could only when, when you're manually firing torpedoes, you can only fire one mount at a time. So if you fire one single mount, you only put one fish in the water. But if you're firing one quad mount, you're putting four fish in the water in one tick. Um, so that that's a big upgrade. And I had like a bunch of really old destroyers and I was like, OK, I could rip out their old coal fired engines, put in oil turbines, take off the old um uh, a deck guns put on dual purpose mounts so they can serve as anti-aircraft pickets. I can take off the old, the, like the weight safe from the engines. I can take off the old torpedo mounts and I can put triple torpedo mounts on there. And it was like, oh, it only cost me a third the cost of building a new destroyer. And some people in chat were like, well, why would you do that when you could build, rebuild a, a 900 ton destroyer when you can build a new 1500 ton destroyer? And it's like, well, yeah, but I don't expect these guys to live. It's like... <laughs> These are suicide ships to me. I'm going to be throwing them at the enemy just to, just to get the torpedoes in the water. I don't expect them to to live. So they, I don't I don't want a 1500 ton destroyer that's got, you know, you know, four main guns and 16 torpedoes and mine racks and depth charge throwers and, you know, you know, anti-aircraft suites. It's like it's expensive. I will refit these ships for a fifth of that cost. And they will serve their purpose by suiciding into the enemy uh, formations and launching their torpedoes or like uh, an an old light cruiser. I could, you know, refit its engines and now it's a Raider. Sure, it's not fit for for frontline service anymore, but I can with with the weight saved, I I, uh, found by taking some of the deck guns off, I could put some seaplanes on there. And now it's an excellent like foreign service Raider. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if the refit stuff is again, uh, a history thing kind of coming in because refits were such a major thing between yeah. the wars, especially under the naval treaties, uh, with, with various people needing to greatly update their battleships cause they couldn't build new ones. Yeah. So I wonder if that's something that's again, like a mechanic where it's like, we need this in there because this is a major part of our historical period, but within the game mechanics itself, maybe, maybe it doesn't make as much sense to, to do that kind of stuff. Like, you know, you, you can, you can make up, like you can have a narrative of when it can, like, again, if there's suicide ships that you want to spend the least amount of possible money on, but from like a pure stats perspective, like, I wonder if, if it would be more efficient, especially for larger ships to just build new ones. 
Oh yeah, it's it's it can you can definitely get to the point where it's like, oh, I'll just build new we'll build new ones. But especially with the way the game is right now, where it's pretty rare to get big guns, it's like, oh no, that generation one battleship has got just enough armor and the same speed to to keep up with the fleet. So it'll be fine. I just need to put new guns on it and make sure the engines don't fall out the back. <laughs> yeah. Maybe put some more anti-aircraft stuff on it. Oh, yeah. Like in, in the, the game I've got going on right now, uh, I think I've been refitting my it's, it's been absurd. I've been refitting my battleships twice a year for like two years because it'd be like, oh, new uh, uh, um, new uh, 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 fire control, control computers are available. Refit. Oh, now we can do better uh, uh, medium anti-aircraft guns. OK, take off the light guns, put on the medium guns. Oh, now we can do dual purpose uh um secondary guns so we need a dual purpose uh, we need to make sure these are refitted for dual purpose it's like oh now we can put directors on those dual purpose guns so they just keep going in over and over and over again but that that one is perfectly historically accurate too because like if you look at the history of a lot of the battleships and especially in world war ii uh you, you know a lot of times they went through you know three four five different uh anti-aircraft suite suites in the war because they just went okay well airplanes are a problem i think we can get a couple more 40 millimeter cannons on here <laughs> Absolutely. Like every major capital ship that went into a yard at any point between 1940 and 1945 came out with more anti-aircraft guns, even if they were just like bolting them places. Yep. Uh, that's actually a, it's it's much more strategic. Uh, the anti-aircraft guns uh, in Rule of Ways 3 than it was in Rule of Ways 2, because there's a functionality in Rule of Ways 3 called uh, topside load, where you actually have to be concerned about how much shit you're putting on the superstructure uh which that wasn't a problem in in rule the waves uh too you could just you just had like a maximum amount of anti-aircraft guns you could put on there based on the size of the hull but in rule the waves three it's like okay so the secondary guns the directors the light anti-aircraft the medium anti-aircraft uh torpedo launchers mine rails depth charge throwers they all take up topside space so you have to pick and choose what you want on there um, and that's that's definitely uh, 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 thrown a monkey wrench in a lot of my Rule of Waves 2 designs, especially for like mid game cruisers where it's like, well, yeah, I'm just going to fill this up with everything. I'm going to put I want to put uh, uh, mine uh, mine launchers on there and topside uh, torpedo uh, tor torpedo racks. And it's going to be bristling with uh, two dozen heavy anti aircraft guns and all the medium and light anti aircraft guns, too. I can fit everything on there. But now if you do that, the ship falls over. Yeah, I wonder I wonder how the community reacted to that. That seems like something where maybe they wouldn't be uh, super thrilled about it because uh, it reduces flexibility, which it feels like a lot of the players of this game love that just extreme flexibility in their designs. It really threw me for a loop because it makes um, early anti-aircraft stuff um, it, it, more difficult to get effective anti-aircraft guns on your ships early on uh because one of the usually the the heavy anti-aircraft guns are the good ones that's the the three inch the four inch the five inch uh dual purpose guns but the first time you get dual purpose guns they're only in single mounts so they take up if you want a lot of them they take up a lot of dock side or uh, top side space because they're single mounts which means you can't fit a lot of light and medium aa on there if you want a lot of heavy aa uh, but that makes the double mounts the tech that you get later on so much more important because now you're saving a ton of space and a ton of weight for more anti-aircraft guns. So it's it's interesting how that dynamic uh, has has worked out for me because it doesn't bother me, but it makes me think more deeply about what I'm putting on ships and what I design ships for. Finding myself making more uh, specialized ships rather than more all-rounded ships because 
especially when it comes to cruiser roles, because now if I want a uh, an anti-aircraft cruiser, I don't have time to I, there's no there's no space for float planes, for mines, for torpedoes. Uh, if I want a, a Raider, there's not going to be any there's not going to be much space for anti-aircraft guns. If I want a like a fleet support ship, there's not going to be any room for anything other than torpedoes. So I found myself making more specialized designs around what the the role of the ship needs to be. But I like yeah, that. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I just remember the first time I interacted when I found out there was a top level load or top side load limit. I was like, wait, what? Like, because I did something like you were talking about. I was like, okay, let me like even like reduce the main armament so I can put more secondary stuff on yeah. here. And it is like 50 over or something absurd like that. Mm-hmm. Does what what I used to my my cruisers in um, Rule of Waves two used to just be absurd because it would it would be like okay it's got twelve five inch guns and twenty four four inch guns and sixteen torpedoes per broadside and a hundred mines and <laughs> dozens of anti aircraft guns and so now now it's just like okay no that shit doesn't fly <laughs> you got to pick and choose. <sighs> okay, I didn't know where to go from there. So I didn't say anything. <laughs> oh, it's fine. Um, and I, I, what I always like to say when I'm talking about this game is it sounds like I bitch about it a lot, but I really fucking love this game. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Like as we were going through this conversation, as we we're talking about the different parts of the game and some of our experiences, I was like, I need to make sure at the end I talk about how much fun I've had with this game <laughs> because it sounds like I hate it. But for some reason, when I'm playing it, it's like the like one more turn addiction hits harder for me on this game than it has in a while. Like yep. I'm like, I'm counting down the months until a, a a new design is done. Like, and I can start building it or I'm counting down the months until those new ships I just built are done. Yep. Um, and so I, I was really impressed. So, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, several times, like this is the first rule of waves game I've played. And I was kind of expecting to jump into it and be like, what is even happening here? I'm not really liking it, you know, um, maybe maybe just not enjoying the game that much at all. But then as I started playing after that first run of total failure due to foreign stations, it just really got its hooks into me. And I was just, you know, month after month after month just mm-hmm. going through and and really, really enjoying all the pieces of the game even the the real-time battles which were certainly my least favorite part of the game um you know still enjoying you know chasing down enemy cruisers or chasing down enemy battleships or or whatever i think that it's it's amazing when you initially look at it and because of the just late 90s windows (laughs) forms ui of it um which is a turnoff it's it's because it allows you to build your own narratives into what is happening in, yep. in the same way that like it's, I don't want to necessarily compare it to paradox games because that's a totally different beast. But a lot of paradox games for me is building my own narratives in my head about yep. what is happening. And this is similar, right? Like I was building my own narrative about, you know, how the war was going with the French or what we were doing or, Oh, okay. I'm going to build this new set of cruisers that are going to have this specific job. And so I need to build in this specific way and, and, and things like that. And I think that, I found it really compelling, even with all of its kind of challenges and very, very unsanded edges. Yeah. Um, and w- one of the things that I greatly appreciate uh, on this this run of the game is they brought it to Steam. Um, that's a big plus because 
previously the only place you could buy it from was like the like their website that sold like plastic models uh but also you could buy this game digitally um and it was also very late 90s so whenever i'd be streaming the game and someone would be like hey where do i buy this and i would i would be like yeah here's a link to the website they'd be like no i'm not putting my credit card information in there <laughs> um I know you say it's legitimate, but it really looks like you're trying to steal my credit card information. This looks like a GeoCity site that I built in high school. Yeah. So now that that's on Steam uh, and I recommend it to people, they're like, oh, it's legitimate. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the, the wider access certainly does help. And I hope, I hope it's really worked out for them. Like, I hope, you know, people have have it's been more discoverable and more people have found mm. it. Um, I think it's it's definitely a game where there's a niche audience like this is not for everybody not even for most people um but you know i think that there there are people out there who like spreadsheet games and this is yep. has has a lot of data tables that look kind of like spreadsheets yeah it, it's a small it's a small audience but it it's it's pretty dedicated and it's been good enough to keep them going through three incarnations of the game four if you count the the original where it was just the tactical battles yeah i, I kind of wonder if they're planning, it kind of feels like at this point, this series has reached its logical conclusion, at least in terms of like how they are, um, how they're going from sequel to sequel by expanding the timeline. Like mm. surely they can't expand the timeline further. So I wonder if there is a rule of the waves for, you know, being designed and, and what they, they would do with that. Uh, I, I feel like you could probably go a little bit earlier. Um, you can probably, you know, make it, you know, bring it back to like 1870s, 80s, but not much further than that before it's like, okay, now we're just tall ships. <laughs> I don't know. Rule the waves, age of sail. I mean, you know? I, I would be fine with that. I was, I was uh, uh, mildly disappointed with uh, Ultimate Admiral Age of Sail. So if we did rule the waves, age of sail and gave me this level of detail building tall ships, I'd be down. Uh, did you have other things you wanted to to talk about about the game? Uh no, no, no. I think we've covered most of it. I am okay. I'm 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 pretty happy with the the discussion because I think we covered most areas of the game in at least some detail. That will do it for this week. Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can check us out there and join the discussion on the forums over at idlethumbs.com slash three MA. We are supported by listeners just like you on Patreon, and you can head on over to patreon.com slash 3MA to get access to bonus episodes, our super secret Discord server, and our exclusive multiplayer community. You can also find us on Twitter. We're at at 3MA. We'll be back soon with another episode, but until then, you can follow Ben. Where can we uh, follow you? Any, any, anywhere. I, I Benjamin Magnus, everywhere. I've made it simple for people. Uh, Twitter, Discord uh instagram i'm trying to think of all the places i don't use my instagram that much twitter twitch discord uh you know all those places it's all the same better than magnus everywhere i'll Excellent. be streaming and this i'll be uh, like literally as soon as we're done with this this stream here i'll be streaming rule the waves 3 on my twitch channel and you can hear more of me talking about history uh, and naval history at historyofthesecondworldwar.com, uh, where I make a weekly history podcast covering the events of the Second World War in roughly chronological order. Thank you for listening and have a good night. Goodbye.